0: If I could have you hang on to two words today, it would be these. Lord, help us be engaged exiles. We've tried the route of being enraged exiles. And it was fun. And fruitless. And counterproductive. And it caused acid in our stomachs, embarrassment in our children and more angst from those who need Jesus. So if I can boil things up this morning for you as we look at a passage from 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning, is to be the invitation that God has called us on mission. Because we ain't from around here anymore. And we never have been when you come to know Jesus. And so we're exiles, we're sojourners, we're strangers, we're foreigners. We are spiritually displaced Ukrainians, as it were. 10,000, excuse me, 10 million of that nation are now displaced. And they're not where they used to be. They've left their home and their country and they just don't feel like they belong where they are. Believers in Jesus Christ, in some ways, are now exiles as well. And we are on mission to be engaged. And I love sharing this with the church that is so wonderfully engaged in being on mission in this community for Christ. My wife and I are a couple of Georgia kids. If you hear the Southernisms come start flowing, I can translate later. Uh, Don't ask my wife, her accent's worse than mine. So, uh, uh, but we've lived in, uh, pardon, better. Oh, sorry, yeah. I've just seen if you're listening there, honey. And uh, I have a clear shot at her and what's worse, she has a clear shot at me right now. Um, Couple of Georgia kids who've lived in Brooklyn, Chicago area, Tennessee, Pittsburgh area, and then now travel the district. Um, It's kind of strange, particularly more and more when we go back home and her people are all from Alabama. She's the only one born in Georgia. They kept having kids till they got it right. And they had their little girl in Georgia. But more and more, when we, even when we go home, we, we, less ties, less connection. We've been gone for 35, 37 years. And where's home? Regionalisms are kind of fun. You go to an area and you learn something about that area that's unique and distinct to that area. But they only remind you again that you ain't from around here. Some of you this morning I met, and I love asking people where are you from, and are you local, are you from here? And some of you are, and some of you are transplants. But even those who've lived here all their life, if you've been walking with Jesus in the last decades, you have that sense that, I don't even know where I live anymore. I never moved. Everything else shifted. And the answer is not political. I said, the answer is not political. The answer is not in sociology, psychology. The answer is in Jesus. And so, we are now, even if you have been here all your life, if you know Jesus, you are not from here anymore. Your home is heaven. Peter's writing to a group of displaced people. In fact, he starts his book, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So Peter is writing to people because of persecution, both by uh, religious and political, are scattered. And they've had to get out of there. And now they're living maybe with pockets of people like them, but they're certainly not living where they had. They left behind businesses and homes and, and family and friends and familiarity and careers, and now they're on the run. And they're displaced. And their desires would be much like ours, is to get in holy huddles to maybe strike back the man. Just finally get back next year in Jerusalem. If things could be how they were. And Peter recognizes, no, this is according to the foreknowledge of God. You, have been, you are elect of God and you're exiles. He knows what's up. Here's how you should be conducting yourselves. And I think these instructions that he gives them are very pertinent for us as well. I'd like for us to read, I'm gonna to read together, I'll read for you uh, 1 Peter chapter two, nine through 12. I'll be reading from the ESV. And uh, so if you're tracking another translation, well, here we go. He, he tells them that you had not been a people, but now you are a people, Verse nine Let's pray together. Ask God to teach us from his word what it means to be on mission. What conduct does he want for us as those who have been called out to himself? Lord, it's an honor to speak your word and I thank you for the opportunity and I thank you for the opportunity here. Thank you for the ministry that substance is. And I thank you that they are a place who seek to have substance about them And I pray that you'd be pleased through this, your word, to further us all along in our walk with you and one another on mission together. And Lord, for any who have never called upon the name of the Lord to be saved, that they would indeed by your spirit long to be yours and would call out to you today, Abba, Father, and turn from them sin and self to turn to you to be received as your child And so now, Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, Lord. You are our rock. You are our redeemer. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. What a passage. What a passage. They've been scattered. They want to just survive. And God says, no, no, let's move past just surviving to being on mission together You used to not be a people, but now look who you are. And it gives them some conduct. Conduct for us, the ones who have been called out. Now, maybe it was a Southern thing. When I was a kid, when you got called out, it wasn't a good thing, right? When the teacher called you out, you identify it, looks like, my brother. (laughs) If you were called out, it was like, that wasn't good. This called out's different. This is the ultimate good. God looked at damned, hell-bound sinners who had no hope on themselves and offered them salvation through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, the risen savior, died for my sins and yours, ascended, sitting beside God, providing salvation to all who will call upon him, believing him alone. And at that moment, God calls us out from our death to life, from darkness to light. So here's conduct for the called out. We gotta first embrace our new identity. Identity. Boy, there's a word we've heard a lot of in the last few years. More than we could ever imagine, right? More than we could ever imagine. We're, Lord willing, traveling to a superintendent and pastor's uh, wives' retreat in Colorado. And I'm wondering if I can carry, as a guy, two carry ons, right? Women get to go a carry on in a purse. So I got my backpack and, and my, and my, uh, my carry on thing. And if they tell me I can only carry one, I'm going to tell them I identify as something else, a woman, so I could carry this extra bag. Okay, I'm not doing that. I'm not not doing that. We 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 try to choose our identity, but we are who we are by God's grace. Now we have a new identity, a chosen race. I mean, think of all the things you've ever heard said about Israel. Unless you have a Jewish background, at some point you go, "Wouldn't it be neat to have to be the apple of God's eye, to be His chosen people? Wouldn't it be neat to be seen as precious to God as a Jew?" And the Lord says to us, you are. You're not just a race of people. This is not American. This is not North American. This is not white. This is a race of God's chosen race. We're not just a priesthood. We're a royal priesthood. We're not just a nation. Again, don't read that America. Don't read this as any nation. This is talking about the people of God, but we're now a holy nation, the church. We're a people for his own possession. I mean, look, all of us know there are days we don't want to even claim us, right? A little little honesty on Father's Day. We've been out in public. We've all been in public at some time. Our kids did something and we go, I don't even know who that kid is, (laughs) you know? Hey, catch an Uber home because we're leaving without you. You know, and I, not mine. Okay, I know you've never felt that way before. God never says that about us. We're a people of his own possession. That's our new identity. We need to embrace. I'm not an American first. I'm not a North, I'm not a Southerner. I'm not a guy, husband, five. my First, foremost, primary identity now is by God's, I've been graced, I've been mercied. I'm one of God's kids, an undeserving, brought into the family, taken from darkness to light, death to life. And if you've called upon Jesus, if you're his, that's who you are as well. So embrace your new identity. And then in that It gives us security to know our place or lack thereof or lack thereof. We've felt the cultural shifts and where we go, this doesn't even seem like my country anymore, my area anymore. This is not about a political thing. This is not about can be fixed with, it hasn't been fixed in the last multiple elections because it can't be fixed. But it's okay. I know whose I am and I don't have a place anymore other than heaven. Well, that's not a bad swap off. Know your place or lack thereof. You're an alien. You're a stranger in the world. If there's a reason you don't feel at home anymore, there's good. that means you're showing biblical growth and discernment. The less and less you feel comfortable in any nation in which you would live shows you're more and more identifying with who Christ is and who he's made you. In fact, the deceptive thing is when we feel like it's kind of a Christianized land of whatever nation, we may feel like we belong there in ways that we don't. And we belong there because we are on exile. We have been placed there by God on mission. I had a guy recently asked me, he said, wow, the culture we're in right now, we're wondering if we wanna move away from the state. What do you think about that? And I thought, oh, don't, I thought, you shouldn't have asked me that because I'm going to tell you. Well, maybe that's why God wants you here. If you feel there's a vacuum of Christians because it's gotten so bad and you want to create, now, God may giving you a leading and a calling to move. I, I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But if you're just wanting to flee because it's gotten so bad, maybe it was worse than you thought beforehand. Oh, but if God would please send Christians to my community And the Lord keeps holding up a mirror and says, I did. Know your place. You don't have one down here, but we have an enduring home. We have an enduring kingdom and that's heaven. Jesus knew rejection of the world and he also knew full acceptance by God. As you come to Jesus, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. When we come to Jesus saying, I don't know where I belong anymore. He says, I know the feeling. I came to my very own and my very own received me not. Some of you came to Christ and your family exiled you emotionally or you feel it. Now, every family function, they call on you to pray, but that's how they wanna, they wanna isolate that, right? You do the prayers at the family meals, but after that, please keep your Jesus stuff to yourself. And that hurts. Some people, and this is just amazing to watch through the decades. Jesus will take someone out of drugs and alcohol and being an abusive person, redeem them, make them just this fine, outstanding citizen, and their family is more bothered by the fact they're a holy Joe than they are now a decent individual. Some of you, I'm seeing a lot of heads nod. Some of you have felt that. It's, it's, It's spiritually crazy, but no, it's not. Jesus lived it perfectly. He shined the light and those in darkness said, we don't want that light, thank you very much. So why are you feeling that way? It's because you don't belong down here, but he has you here. So embrace your new identity, your God's chosen people on mission, know your place or lack thereof, And then engage. it's interesting, the first thing Peter sets forth here of a level of engagement here is not going out to tell them all how they're all sinning so horribly. The first thing he points us to is, if I can paraphrase, before you get out there on mission, deal with the junk in your own heart first. You know what's a whole lot worse than the sin in the world by people who are acting true to their identity because they don't know Jesus is the sin in my heart of a guy who does know Jesus. What should be more appalling to me? And I turn on the news and see what what they have done now. Or when I look in the word and say, look what I'm still doing. Which Which one's easier to be upset about? Which one's safer to be stirred up about? Abstain. You go, here we go. Here we go. Bring it, Peter. You know, since you're a sojourner in exile, I want you to abstain from the passions of your flesh. They wage war against your soul. You know who's the biggest threat to my walking with Jesus? It's not a political party. It's not the left. It's not the right. It's not the East Coast. It's not the West Coast. It's my end coast. Take me to an island separate me from every worldly influence, cordon off every demonic thing that had ever happened, and I am still struggling spiritually because there's one guy there that I have trouble with more than anybody, and it's me. I have fleshly lust that wages war against my soul. So this is the point where you can either say, and he's the district superintendent, <laughs> Or you can say, oh, thank God. I do too. There's some mature men and women in this church. Some of you younger believers look up to them rightfully so, and you want to grow to be like them, rightfully so. Please understand that every mature believer you look up to in this church is still struggling with the same stuff you're struggling with. All of them. Every one of them. Now, that is not a license to be slack spiritually, but it sure should help us have a better understanding that I need to be vigilant, that I'm not alone. There's two parts of this, spiritual, mature saints. Be honest with those younger believers about your own struggles. Let's Let's quit pretending we've got it together. Now, there are areas we've made some progress in. We've become further sanctified by the grace of God. But if there's not ongoing vigilance by the grace of God, because within me, in my flesh, there dwells no good thing, nor in you. So seasoned saints, make a gift of your ministry to younger saints, letting them know you still struggle. Younger saints, have the courage to ask those seasoned saints that you think, oh, they never struggle with this. I'm the only one who ever feels this way. No, no, no. Look, there's no temptation overtaking you, but such as is common to all of us. I'm not demeaning and minimizing your temptation. I'm just saying we've all got some form or fashion of that. Ask them, those seasoned saints, how they've learned to deal with that. And they may give you some radical answer that sounds absurd to you. Like, like you go. Oh, that sounds like you're plucking out your own eye. It's almost the equivalent of saying you'd cut off your arm. How serious do you think this battle is with sin? Well, Jesus says, it's serious. It's war. See, if we want to go war out there, right? Let's get the banners. Let's get the posters. We're going to show them. We're going to get them. And Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. How about we start first? Be careful. Say no to my sinfulness. Dis- abstain. They wage war. Temptation's not just a, a titillation to drag me down some cute little trail. It's hand-to-hand combat with my sin nature. Keep away from the fleshly desires that do battle against the soul. If you want some help with this, read Galatians uh, uh, five, Romans six through eight, all of Ephesians, but particularly four, five, and six, these passages that talk to us about putting off, putting on, putting to death, allowing Christ, dealing with the fruits of the flesh and letting the spirit, the fruit of the spirit flow through our lives. What's the conduct for the called out who are on mission as God's engaged exiles is embrace your identity, know your place or lack thereof, start saying no increasingly to sinful desires and then, here, we're gonna go get them now. Now we get the permission to go get them. Live convincingly Christian. Live such good lives among the pagans right there in the middle of those who don't know Jesus, good lives, helpful lives, beneficial lives, blessing lives, generous lives, kind, gracious, truth speaking lives. Live such good lives among the pagans. Conduct yourself honorably. Among the world, no hermits no holy huddles. If a successful Christian life is for you is to drop off your kids at a Christian school so you can take your car to the Christian mechanic and go to the Christian doctor or dentist while you wait for the Christian mechanic to treat you that. So then you go to the Christian club and eat at the Christian restaurant and go home and sleep in your Christian house and rinse and repeat. Now, none of these things are wrong. I'm not speaking against Christian schools or having Christian connections, but if, if a successful Christian life is padding yourself and making sure all your connections are sanctified, what are you doing here? What, what, what are you doing here? You're in exile. It assumes you're going to have life. You're going to live life right here among the pagans. Some of you have been shopping in the same stores for 10, 20, 30 years, and that is really cool. We've moved around so much. We've gotten to know people in different places. But some of you have literally grown older with the cashier at that store. That's pretty cool. Somebody coming to mind for you? Yeah. Have they been watching you grow in Christ-likeness? Now, they may not be able to label it. They may not know why. They know you're a good church person and all that. Have they seen you not just kind of grow up in a maturity and become a good, responsible adult? You get the opportunity to do that. You're in a community. You're placed right here, right here, wherever your here is. Be convincingly Christian. Live such good lives. And you know what they'll do? It's really cool. It says, then they'll accuse you. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, why? Repeat, fill in the blank. No good deed goes unpunished. You ever heard that phrase? no No good deed goes unpunished. There's some cynicism for you. No, that's life 101, right? Some of you know that you have treated a neighbor of yours with such kindness through the years. And the first time your kid went across their lawn the wrong way, they came and got in your face. But enough about that one neighbor we had. <laughs> and there was no going back, it seems. And they accuse you of this, that. And the, some of you have lived very kind lives to that person at work. They find out your convictions about this, and suddenly they know everything about you, right? They know how you voted. They know what you, that you hate these people. They know that you're a bigoted, intolerant, closed-minded, Fill in the blank, right? They know. And you go, wait a minute. I've been kind to them for 10, 15 years. And here's, here's what it got me, right? To quote, it's a wonderful life. That's what I get for praying. All right, George Bailey prays, gets punched in the face. Now, he had deserved it. He treated the teacher's husband, what, uh, the teacher poorly, and the husband there. If you haven't seen the movie, I don't want to explain anymore. This is a civic duty you have to watch the movie. <laughs> It's a wonderful movie. (laughs) Live such good lives that even when they accuse you, and they will, they'll still see your good deeds. Here's how this works at work. Oh, preacher man. Oh, yeah, she's that church girl. Oh, the Bible told her. Oh, it's always about Jesus. And then they get bad news that someone in the family has cancer, divorce, the wife is leaving, the kid has this and they come into your office and say hey you're a praying person right? I mean, they've been treating you like trash because they can't publicly identify with you because like I said you're this hateful they know all these things about you, labeled you and have moved along and slapped a. but all the same many of you have experienced this where suddenly they go in hey, um, could you just pray for us? I don't want to go into why, but could you pray for me? And at that moment, your spirit, your flesh would be very tempted to say, oh, suddenly you need somebody to call, talk to God for you, right? Okay, maybe I'm the only one that immature. Wow, I just got an amen in a really ugly way. <laughs> you know you've had these feelings. Maybe you save it for later and you go, wait a minute, I did all this, they treat me this way and now they want this? And you talk to Jesus about it and he goes, I know, <laughs> I know. I lived out perfectly before them and they nailed me to a cross. I get it. Stay in there. Take the abuse. Quit fighting for your rights. Lay down yourself. Take up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. be convincingly Christians, just, just good people living, helping out, shuffling that extra chunk of sidewalk, making sure that seeing you're safe, opening your home up if you've got air conditioning and somebody doesn't. Here's a crazy idea, what if you tried giving away free donuts like on a Friday now and then? Wouldn't that be just, somebody should try that sometimes. I love tracking free, I always think, why am I not there on Friday? They look so good. I almost asked you to bring me some, but do I look like I need a free donut? not? Stay out of this. What if you had space to open up a building, just crazy, you walk with me here, and let people have free Wi-Fi and coffee and could use your building once, maybe like, I don't know, three, four days a week. Just a safe place to gather and to recognize that they can come in here and not get attacked in Jesus' name, but be loved on and, and have already crossed the threshold. Have y'all thought about that even? I love your corner house idea. Fishing. I don't know about fishing. What good could come from that? Well, a lot of good. You guys made some memories. You gave an opportunity. I love tracking with you guys. You had the outside park outreach last year. Are y'all doing that again this year? You rain down, okay. A for effort. You tried. It's just this banner back, summer and substance. I just scanned it, and I know your heart. A lot of what's on there is not about we get to further consume all of these special things for us. That's not who you are. You're living good lives right here in downtown and beyond. be convincingly Christian. Now that may mean speaking up for the truth, but speaking truth in love, grace and truth. One of our district churches in um, just west, east of Rochester, uh, the worship leader there is a CEO of a, um, the director of a uh, crisis pregnancy center. They have three four in the state of New York. They have one in Buffalo, and it was just firebombed about three weeks ago, two weeks ago, uh, by a, um, a pro-choice, weird, weird kind of choice, uh, radical group that does this and has told them, yes, we did this, and y'all better be on guard. And they've been doing it more and more across the country. And I watched Jim Harden's initial response as he did a press conference and he says, we do this because every life matters. We believe in the, the God's images on every life including those who firebombed our building. This was within hours of his standing in front of a building that had just been desecrated, decimated and his saying because we believe even the lives of those who did this and we invite them to turn to Jesus. And I followed up with and watching uh, Compass Care and their response to this. So we have to speak truth. We do so with grace. We live convincingly Christian lives. Here's an invitation for you, but make sure you understand it. It's a phrase I've used several years. Outlive your detractors. You go, yeah, yeah, I'm waiting for their funeral. <laughs> Outliving your detractors is not about a long, playing the long game of longevity and who gets to go to his funeral first, okay? Out, you have detractors in your life who speak against you and they lie about you and you're just going to keep plotting on, not because They deserve it, but because God deserves and wants you to live a convincingly Christian life, saying no to your desire to be vindictive or petty or taking offense or drawing back or striking back. We've tried being enraged exiles, and it's embarrassed us to the world. The invitation is to be winsomely engaged exiles. It's your new identity. You're God's chosen people on mission. And you ain't from around here anymore. Know your place. It ain't ain't here any longer. Say no to the stirrings inside that are sinful. Be more concerned about the evil within, the leftover junk than anything you see on the news or in the neighborhood. And then your response is be right there amongst them, convincingly Christian. Tertullian, about 200 AD, an early church father said, it's our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of our many opponents. Only look, they say, look how they love one another. So away with squabbling with each other, particularly in public and on Facebook and social media. Away with slandering. Away with even publicly denouncing without sharing the gospel. Away with being detached and only damning. You've been given a a mission of mercy to go into a world that needs, must find Jesus. You've been called out of darkness into light and now you are to call back into darkness of the excellent greatness of God. Tell of his excellent greatness. So enjoy Father's Day, take a break and get back on mission. In fact, let's do Father's Day on mission as well. God's engaged exiles. Let's pray. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. The best scoutmaster there is, the best baseball, softball coach, the best concession stand worker there is, the best neighbor, co-worker, aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa living like Jesus Lord forgive how we have recoiled, become pugnacious no one ever lived in a place of such contrast as you did no one was ever holier in an unholy place than you And yet we behold you washing feet, being served by loving, healing, touching, associating with some of what we see as societal outcast. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being the friends of sinners. That's our only hope. May we also be accused of being so engaged in this culture on mission that it confuses people that we're so loving to those who need you. Help us to guard our hearts, to walk with you, to put away the stuff that would lead to being tainted. Help us to be gracious towards those who will falsely accuse us who long to see us slip. We need you. This is impossible on our own. Empower us to be these kind of people. We pray this in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen.